Hello, everyone, and welcome to Psych the Podcast with your host, BNB. My name is Brianna. My name is Brittany. Yes, welcome, welcome. And just to remind you all, Psych the Podcast, our purpose is to create content for diverse students interested in earning their PhD in psychology. Absolutely. And today we have special guest, Dr. Tima Bryant. And I'll let you all know a little bit about her, even though you all should know who she is. So Dr. Tima Bryant is a clinical psychologist and president-elect of the American Psychological Association. She is also a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Dr. Tima earned her doctorate from Duke University and completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School. She is a former psychology representative to the United Nations and a past president of the Society of the Psychology of Women. With more than 20 years of experience in trauma recovery, she has appeared as a mental health expert on radio, print media, and television, including CNN, WeTV, Headline News, BET, OWN TV, and VH1. Dr. Tima raises awareness about mental health issues on the Homecoming podcast and her social media platforms. Her expertise is in empowering people to survive, heal, and thrive. We are so grateful to have you today, Dr. Bryant. Thank you so much for having me. I love this platform and that you all are providing the information, which means you're providing empowerment. And I'm excited for today's conversation. So just to get started here, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to psychology and how you got into it? Yes, absolutely. So I grew up primarily in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was a pastor's daughter And in our community, people often went to their pastor for pastoral care and for counseling. And my mother led a women's ministry, and that also really focused on holistic health and well-being and empowerment. So through their work was my first uh, introduction to the therapeutic process. And then as I got older, I learned that psychology was a field in and of itself. Uh, And so I really feel that it is sacred work, that it is a calling and the work that I love to do uh, within psychology. My focus is trauma recovery. And that came about both from my individual experience with trauma, but also the realities of collective trauma. So as I mentioned, I primarily grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, which while it is a beautiful place, there is also uh, a lot of, can be a lot of community violence and school violence. And then as an adolescent, I was blessed to be able to move to Liberia, West Africa. And the first year was absolutely amazing in terms of coming home to my uh, full identity and culture and heritage. And then unfortunately, the end of my second year there, uh, a civil war broke out, which of course is another form of trauma. And so I have uh, always really had a heart for helping people through difficult circumstances that can kind of turn us upside down and look at how do we individually within our families and then within communities uh, heal so that we can survive and hopefully also thrive. Yeah, I hear um, a lot about trauma 
and identity and spiritual practices. And, you know, that's really needed within the community. And another reason why we're so grateful to have you here today. I'm wondering if um, there's something more specifically that you can speak to um, that brought you to psychology or even like the advice that you could give for people that want to uh, work with trauma or specifically, you know, spirituality and incorporating that in their work. Yes, absolutely. So I would say look for the various opportunities uh, to get engaged. And so as a college student at Duke University, they had a program where you could work in the community, but the university would pay your salary. So you would be still a work study student. Mm -hmm. And so I began working as a rape crisis counselor. And that gave me a really incredible opportunities to learn advocacy, which I think is important for anyone interested in psychology, especially uh, to empower and address the needs of marginalized communities. It also provided uh, opportunities to learn about psychoeducation and providing community workshops. We would go into schools and do talks on good touch and bad touch. Um, and then eventually I also had the opportunities to do trainings, train uh, lawyers, train judges, to understand the ways in which people uh, may present when they have experienced trauma. So just by way of example, uh, someone can say share a really horrific experience, but be laughing. And if people mm -hmm. aren't tuned into that, they may think this person must be lying um, or it wasn't that deep or didn't really matter. So helping people to understand psychologically the ways that people can cope with humor or deflect with humor. Um, and so that information is so uh, important to be able to disseminate. And then I will also say you may have ideas in your mind of your own limitations, but to be open to exploring what is possible. Uh, initially, as I mentioned, what I was more aware of was practice because of the work my parents did, uh, providing pastoral counseling. Um, and so my initial uh, kind of mantra was, I'm not a researcher, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was in large part based on the narrow uh, type of research I had been exposed to. Right. And mm -hmm. so it was really eye opening for me as a graduate student to begin doing some work with Susan Roth, who has um, a perspective of feminist psychology and also a real love for qualitative research, which was a very different experience for me. Um, so when I was a master's level student and, you know, uh, in my first draft to my advisor, who was a different person, uh, I turned in my document and the, the paper was on conceptions of manhood and womanhood among early uh, adults, African-American adults. Mm -hmm. And I had a section in there talking about the impact of racism and sexism on our racial and gender identity. And my master's advisor, uh, who was a white man, uh, literally said to me, now, Tama, you can say this or you can take the high road and get published. Mm. So it was like, what? Now, this is someone who's very accomplished, has a whole bunch of grants. And so it was this whole piece of you can either address racism and sexism or you could be successful like me. Wow. Right. Which was very silencing. And then also uh, in the first draft, when for every sentence he would say, what's the citation? What's the citation? What's the citation? 
And so like all of that was like very much silencing. So when I switched advisors for my dissertation and I turned in my first draft of the proposal to Dr. Susan Roth, the first thing she said to me is, Tama, where's your voice? Mm. And I said, what? I said, you mean I'm allowed to say something? (laughs) And she said, what would be the point otherwise? If you weren't going to say anything, why write? Mm. And so that then I could like breathe, right? And uh, yes, build on the literature that is there. And, you know, what is it you're trying to say, right? Mm. Um, And so now all these years later, Along with having a private practice, I am also a researcher and uh, direct my own research lab. Um, And so whether in research or teaching or consultation, uh, to not limit yourself and know that you can have multiple streams of income. You can have uh, multiple uh, kind of pursuits, even within psychology. And uh, the last piece I'll say about pushing past limitation is... um, as a sexual assault survivor myself, I had in my mind that I could only work with survivors. And when I got hired for my first position after my postdoc, um, it was advertised as the head of uh, the sexual assault program on a college campus. I went for the interview, everything went well. I was happy with the salary. I packed up all my stuff, moved across multiple states to get there. And it wasn't until I arrived that they told me my office was also responsible for counseling the offenders. Mm. Oh, wow. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't do that. (laughs) And so it was very disorienting because coming from the rape crisis background, you wouldn't have like survivors and offenders in the same waiting room. Mm -hmm. It just was against my whole model and uh, something I had not anticipated. And but like I had accepted the job and moved my stuff. So I had to figure it out. And, you know, it has ended up being a part of the work that I can do and am able to do. So, you know, sometimes we we um, have limited ourselves for various reasons, uh, but to not be so quick to dismiss it without first trying. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that and your yeah. personal story within overcoming your own limitations. And I'm also wondering, um, going through that process, it sounds like you found you empowered yourself and found agency within your own voice uh, in so many ways. So I'm just wondering what was mentorship or or guidance like during that time? Yeah. So it makes a difference when you have the right mentorship, right? So Mm -hmm. your mentors believe in you your, your good mentors, believing you, your, your uh, good mentors don't require you to censor yourself. Yeah. So some people feel like they have to perform, like mm-hmm. feel like they have to already have all the answers. So it'll be like, what would be the point if you don't have any questions, right? If you already know everything or feel like you have to pretend to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so it's, it's emotionally safe. And I want to also say this is an important one a good mentor actually hopes you will pass them, mm, wow. right? Like it, you don't want a jealous mentor, right? It doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? Like every everybody who I advise, advise everyone who uh, who is a mentee, you know, I tell them, you know, and, and I would like you to do even more than this, 
Mm -hmm. Because because like you have a you have a launching pad. Right. So I'm you know, I'm giving you some information so you don't have to start from scratch. Right. So, for example, I graduated um, without publications and I didn't even know some people were getting publications and Mm -hmm. later found out that my master's advisor was taking some students with him to conferences and had never invited me. And when I found out really toward the end of my time, I went to him and said, you know, I won't name names, such and such and such and such, you know, said you took them all these places. How come I never got to go and I'm in your lab? And he literally said, oh, I didn't think you would be interested. Mm. So, you know, the students who work with me, we, um, you know, I have them submit at conferences, present, whether it's posters or a panel with me, you know, I really try to encourage uh, students to work on publications. And so because of that, then they're starting ahead of where I started when I graduated, Mm -hmm. right? So you want um, mentors who will also be advocates. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, people who will speak up for you when you're not in the room, right? So when we're having some faculty meeting and they're needing a student who will represent in this way, is there a faculty member in the room who will put your name in the ring? Mm -hmm. We'll say, oh, I think Jasmine would be great for this, right? I think such and such would be great for this. Um, So uh, I try to do that as a mentor and I have had people uh, who have mentored me. So the person I mentioned, uh, Dr. Jessica Henderson Daniel, who's the first uh, Black woman to be uh, president uh, of APA, um, she really brought me into the American Psychological Association. I had just um, graduated and um, I was, I, I had applied and become one of APA's representatives to the United Nations. So she at the time was president of the Society for Psychology of Women. So she put me on her executive committee and called me the liaison for international relations, right? I was still initiatives was this mentorship group for uh, early career uh, women of color. And so they, it was a group of mentors she selected and they took a group of us mentees to dinner and um, Asian, Latino, uh, Native American, Black. So we're sitting around this uh, table in, in this restaurant, this long table, and they tell us we're supposed to go around and say our dreams or our goals so they can help us make these dreams come true. So people are going around and saying, you know, I want to become a tenured professor. I want to start my own private practice, whatever they want to do. So the women's division is called Division 35. So when it gets to me, I say, I want to be president of Division 35 before I'm 35. (laughs) So there was this moment of silence, right? Because they were startled. And then uh, Jessica goes, are you ready to work? I said, yes, I am. She said, we'll make it happen. And I became president of Division 35 at 34. <laughs> Look at that. Yes. <laughs> and so she was the one. It, the presidential year went really well. And so immediately after that, people started talking to me about running for APA president. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't at the time I wasn't interested and it wasn't the right time. And so I will say over the past 10 years, uh, she has continued to check in with me like, he should really run. He should really run. Right. Um, and so it's been important. It's important to have people 
who see your gifting, who believe in you, who will not only encourage you, because you can have people outside of the field, like my family is encouraging, but they don't know the steps or inside of this field, right? So it's really helpful to have not only encouragers, but people who can give you the practical steps of how to get where you want to go. Yeah, I definitely hear this theme of using your voice, right? Whether um, we were talking about the limitations, but then also naming that you would be the president of Division 35 and becoming that. But then, of course, there's this mentorship piece. And Brianna and I, we've had our advisor on um, the podcast multiple times at this point and love who she is as a mentor. Like she is constantly pushing us. I will never forget uh, the time myself and someone else in our research team were applying for a fellowship. We turned in the fellow our application to our advisor and she said, y'all are not ready. She's like, y'all, y'all don't want this fellowship. Like y'all are not going to get it with what Mm. y'all just said to me. And we turned that around so quickly and we both got the fellowship. Like that is, but that is the, that is the kind of thing that you need, you know, with a mentor. And I love one thing about our advisor is she's always going to be very real with us as well as she's pushing us and making sure that we get into these spaces and, you know, have the career that we want to have. Yes. I love that. And, Mm -hmm. and here's the thing, you know, for the students to hear in in your story is you all didn't shut down, right? Sometimes when we get like Mm -hmm. a feedback or correction, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get an attitude or get embarrassed or get defensive, but you all were like, bet, right? Do the work. We were like, okay. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. And that's a career long uh, ability because what happens, even if you submit articles, in most cases, you're going to get a revise and resubmit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you open that email and see all the things people want you to do, it can feel overwhelming when you first start. Uh, And so then people can like put that letter aside and just like not work on it. But it's like, okay, people were invested the time to make my thing better. That's the point. I mean, you know, sometimes some feedback you will argue against or you say like, it doesn't make sense for my paper. But for the most part, the suggestions are to make it stronger. And so to not run from the feedback. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So another thing, okay. <laughs> because I am going to, I kind of want to switch gears. Well, not switch gears, but go back to a topic that we were discussing, because I know that we, or you focus a lot on trauma and surviving, healing and thriving. And I think it's important for our listeners to know how are you taking care of yourself throughout that process of, you know, doing such heavy work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, listen to one of your speeches where you talked about how Black women are always, like historically, we're always taking care of everyone else. So like, how have you taken care of yourself, especially for people that are interested in doing trauma work? Right. This this piece of self-care and community care is so important. And I'm glad you named it in the context of our identities, Mm -hmm. because it is true as Black women, we are often, even as Black girls, raised to be the caretakers, to pay attention to everybody else's need, to, you know, carry communities, 
uh, and, and this double message, right, to carry families, but then be accused of like uh, being too strong, right? Mm-hmm. So there is um, the, this challenge of really honoring our own humanity for us to have spaces where uh, where we don't have to fight, mm-hmm. where there can be spaces uh, where there is joy. And that's, you know, a, a radical revolutionary act as a black woman in America that I will pursue things that make that bring me joy. Right. I'm committed to it. Like I'm committed to delighting in my own laughter mm-hmm. that I, I know how to fight, but I don't want to fight 24 seven. So. Uh, so, you know, Howard Thurman, who's a black theologian, said, do the things that make you come alive because far too people are actually alive. And that's so true. Many of us are dehumanized and, you know, going through life as machines, right, to produce for other people or to try to gain other people's validation and approval. And so, you know, the NAP ministry, if people follow her on social media, she talks a lot about uh, naps as resistance, like our rest as resisting these these uh, messages that we receive that our worthiness is dependent on our labor. And it's easy to fall into that as a graduate student, right? Mm-hmm. That my identity is in my grade, right? That my validation is where is my internship site? And to know it will be nice to have those things and I am worthy regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my first doctoral students when she applied for internship, she was an excellent student, just happened that year, she didn't get placed. So she had to wait an extra year. The following year, she was the first one of our students to place at Yale. She went to Yale, you know, and no one, when you graduate, ask like, what year did you start and when did you finish? Like nobody would know that's her story. And now she's the head of the sexual uh, trauma department at the local VA. Mm -hmm. You know, I called the other day and she was like, hello, this is Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, come on. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, yes. So in terms of my care, you know, I would say one, even being mindful of what we eat. I talk about uh, in my book that when I first started practicing I ke- and I was keeping my own calendar, um, I kept missing lunch because I would have requests from people who wanted a session and I would frame it in my mind like this. What's more important, their mm-hmm. healing or a sandwich? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what an outrageous way to frame it. Mm-hmm. So of course I'm going to squeeze in another person. And so then one day I was doing counseling with a client and in the middle of the session, my stomach starts growling. And I was like, whoa, I'm talking to them about how they are deserving of care as I'm sitting here for like the fifth hour hungry. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had to have a meeting with myself to say, I want to be authentic. I want to not just tell people about how to live well. I want to live well. And so looking at, you know, even what we're eating, looking at exercise. So I love dancing. Um, there's a, a great group I don't have any ties to, but I'd love to give them shout out uh, called Kukuwa, K-U-K-U-W-A. It's African Dance Aerobics online. And they have really- I used to be an African dancer. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yes. <laughs> It, you know, it feeds us. It, it's good for our bodies. It's good for our spirits. It's good for community. Uh, so, you know, uh, movement is an important part. I start my day with devotions and that's really important. 
And so um, reading scripture, meditating, praying, sometimes with music, and it helps me to get centered because what I have found is if you go off and you're not grounded and your well is already empty, mm-hmm. it makes you very vulnerable to whatever people think, say, or do toward you, mm-hmm. right? So I like to, before I go out in the day, already have clarity. So people can, because people going to act up, right? <laughs> because often as Black women, we're underestimated, right? And so people will often test you and you like needing to be alert and discerning. And so if you're having to do that from an empty place, mm. it will be really difficult. It's not sustainable. So I have to pour into my well. So when I show up, then I'm giving from an overflow, right? I'm not giving from a place of desperate. I'm not thirsty, right? Mm. So if they affirm me, nice. If they don't, I'm good because I didn't come looking for them to tell me I was good enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that um, kind of spiritual practice and whatever ways people feed their spirit to try to do that in the mornings um, is really important. And then I have also done my own psychotherapy. I think mm-hmm. that is important. Some people want to skip from being wounded to being the healer and they mm-hmm. have not done their process. And that is why a lot of mental health professionals get a bad rep where people are like mm, therapists, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, if, if you have, you know, you can read all the books, but if you have not reflected on yourself mm-hmm. and engaged in actively healing your own wounds, you can enter into this field and do a lot of harm. And so uh, that's important. Yeah, I, I love what you had to say about that, about the spiritual aspect of pouring into yourself and checking on yourself. And then also, I think you spoke to as a healer, sometimes we can inadvertently be damaging and hurting ourselves mm-hmm. in providing um, healing practices to others. And I really appreciate how you speak to having your own personal therapy. I started therapy this year. It's also oh, the first good. year I started seeing clients. And uh-huh. so I've caught myself sometimes in what I'm telling my clients, like, you know what, maybe you need to check yourself too sometimes. <laughs> so it's it's so important to, you know, have also that balance of taking care of yourself. And it's it's just sometimes a check and balance with what you're giving out and making sure like you're getting poured back into mm-hmm. or releasing some things or like you said, being vulnerable and doing that inner work that we ask of other people as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And thank you for for naming that because we help to remove the stigma, you know, Mm. by saying, yes, this is something I did and it was helpful to me. And also when you talk about, you know, when you're talking to your clients and have these revelations, I think that's important to share because it also humanizes us. Right. Mm -hmm. We are not like blank slates or just sitting there with a lab coat on. When I went to my internship, it was at a training hospital, which meant the clients there every year received a new therapist, which meant over the course of their lives, they had had a lot of therapists. And so I was working with a client for the first time. um, And uh, he was uh, an immigrant uh, from a European country, uh, but had been here many years. And so we get to the end of the session and he says, I can tell you didn't go to the same school as the other ones. And I said, what school is that? And he said, the school where they teach you to just write in your notepad and say, "Mm -hmm, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, yes, sir. I didn't go to that school. I'm going to talk to you. right? <laughs> and that's important. People read authenticity. And sometimes I think especially students and trainees have the idea that to be professional, I have to feel nothing and, and just be blank and neutral. And that's not healing, right? If people mm-hmm. are telling us these horrific things and we're just, mm-hmm, by anything else you want to say about that? It's like, what in the world did you just hear what this person said? Right. So I tell our students, we are the thermometer in the room. Mm-hmm. That many times people have been through circumstances where everybody acts like it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like that everybody in the family knew this was happening to you and people ignored it or dismissed it. And so if you come and then tell that story to me and I also act like no big deal, then it's harmful. So we want to show up and be present. I was wondering, you know, having mentored students, right? What is some advice that you would give to students who are applying to graduate school or wanting to enter um, psychology and engage in clinical work? Yes, wonderful. So, you know, I would say try to get any experience that you can. Uh, experience working with people, experience in someone's research lab, uh, even if you have to volunteer, if you don't have paid positions, um, because we are ranking those and rating those. Um, And so uh, experience is important, clarity about what you're interested in, and then clarity that you have researched our particular program. So Mm -hmm. you need to like look on the website and see like what kinds of programs we're doing, you know, the faculty that are there, what are they studying? So you can mention that, then it feels like this person like has done their research, has done their homework, and is not just like, you know, applying to anywhere and everywhere, right? But is being Mm -hmm. intentional. Um, And then you want relationship building is important, especially, when you're going to later ask people for these letters of recommendation, right? I'll have people who I taught like four years ago and we've never had a conversation. You know, they did okay in the class, but you can think about like, what kind of letter could I write them? Right? So I could, you know, look up in my book and see like what grade you got in the class. And, you know, clearly you must've been okay. But it's a, you know, you put that letter next to the letter from someone who has actually gotten to know you, mm-hmm. you know, and even you providing them some background information will help make the letter stronger. Um, so the letters are important. The experience is important in your personal statement um, to show some sense of like your personality or your thought process instead of just attributes like I am this, I am that. If you tell like some brief story or scenario, it will be revealed that you are that, right? So I could say, oh, I'm very hardworking, right? Or I could say, you know, I worked on this and as a result of that, this happened. Then I say, oh, okay. Um, And then I will say, because some people wonder about um, disclosing life challenges. Mm -hmm. And um, so two things I'll say about that. One, um, it may be important if that affects what we see in your transcript, right? Like some people didn't do well in undergrad and then did well in their master's. Well, some doctoral programs will see that 
and not think too much of the high grades in your master's because there's real grade inflation in graduate school. You know, most people are getting like high grades at that level, Mm -hmm. um, but they're they see concern when they see this undergraduate transcript. And so it may be that like, you know, and you may notice that in my junior year, you know, my grades drop and during that time, blah, 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 whatever context you would like to give. And, you know, then by my senior year, I was able to pull it back up. So if it helps to explain, you know, either gaps in your experience or your grades, um, And then if you're not sharing it for that, but you're sharing it because you want to talk about like why you're interested in the field and just show self-awareness, I would just say it's a balancing act because you want to also communicate like I have had or have these challenges and I'm in a stable place and I've gotten support and and uh, because what you don't want it to read as is this person is in crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. Or this person is going to be too overwhelmed to do our program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So but there is a way to do that. Right. To talk about, you know, you may have grown up in a home where there was child abuse or, you know, you went to like five different foster homes. But then. Right. Then I'm thankful because I have this stable place now and I've had mentorship and I want to, you know, give back and go into the field to help children in foster Right. Then I read that and I say, okay, like this, this will be a real contribution. Um, Not that I read it and I feel worried. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. for. I think that's even like tangible advice for when you're thinking about applying to different jobs um, Mm -hmm. for cover letter purposes. Internship. Internship. Okay. So not even just for um, prospective students and graduate programs. So thank you so much for that. Welcome. Yes. Uh, and what this made me think of was something that I listened to by you, um, your inaugural, inaugural address at the Psychology of Black Women Conference, which really, really touched me. And I, I had a lot to take away from that. And one thing in specific that I really enjoyed was the gardening tips that mm-hmm. you gave. So I, I listened to that sort of as ways to maintain um, and pour into yourself. And as a graduate student now, as a doctoral student, it definitely spoke to me. And I think it applies to, again, early career professionals in that. You spoke to where is your place of excellence and flourishing. And earlier in the episode, you spoke to the different spaces you were in. So I like how you mentioned, are you built to work in systems in which we are few um, Mm -hmm. and you're there as a transformer? Or, you know, realizing, do I actually want to be in spaces where people look like me and Mm -hmm. we are, you know, in the majority. So can you speak a little bit more to those points and finding your space and what works to you and where you flourish? Yes, it's so important. And uh, that's why self-awareness is going to be key because everybody who you're around is going to have opinions, Mm -hmm. right, about where you should be, right, and what you should be doing. So there's a whole bunch of shoulds, but you have to get still so you can realize uh, what you feel called to do, what will be fulfilling for you, and also what you're built to do, mm-hmm. right? So, and I, when I say built for, I mean emotionally and personality-wise, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, um, I can go into predominantly white spaces and do a presentation or a training on racism, and, you know, people are going to ask the same kind of questions they generally ask. Um, and that doesn't deplete me, 
right? Like I don't get off that Zoom like, oh Lord, I can't do this. But there are some people who are like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to them, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to do, I don't want to deal with those same questions. I don't want (laughs) to talk to people who are going to deny that racism exists. And so to know, like you have to know yourself, right? That's not all the work that I want to do, but I, I can do it. And I can also see benefit from it. Like not everybody's going to shift, but there are some people who it is more ignorance than malice. And so if I can provide the information and I can see the light bulbs coming on, you know, then, you know, I I uh, am, am equipped and good with doing that work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like pay attention to what makes you come alive as you're doing it and also pay attention to how you feel in the aftermath. Right. So, for example, even with teaching, you know, our lectures are three hours. Um, I'm not starving for content, right? <laughs> right? Like at the end of the like, three hours, I'm like, oh my God, where did the time go? Right. So uh, because this is this is what I do. This is what I'm here to do. Whereas some people, you know, the idea of that, like every week having to do that for like that amount of time would feel like draining or they would, you know, it would feel like more labor than it is to me. Mm-hmm. Now if you just wanted me to run stats all day, that would be like death. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm like, like this, just sit in front of my computer, like, oh, you know, but I'm so grateful for those who that is their thing. I, you know, worked with a wonderful psychologist, a great statistician as well, Dr. Yu Ying Song. And, you know, she comes alive in front of those numbers, right? <laughs> so she's, so it's like, find people, you know, you don't have to do everything, right? right? So connecting with those who like, that is their gifting. Um, and then together you can do some in- incredible work. For sure. Everyone definitely has their space and their place. Yes. And I love how you say that all are necessary for right. this societal transformation, all parts, um, yeah. not one being more important than the other. Right. Yes. I think, you know, those who are going to start their own organizations, phenomenal, right? I've had students, just a few, who've actually started their own nonprofits. Mm. That's incredible. Mm. And then I have students who go and work at, you know, established um, clinics, community centers who go, you know, into the academy. Um, So all of it, all of it is needed. And so Mm. I think we have to be really careful about the hierarchy we create in the profession of who's doing real work. Right. Mm. So sometimes, you know, practitioners can talk as if researchers and educators are not doing the real work. And then sometimes scientists will um, present themselves as like, this is the real work. These other people are not doing the real. So we, that, that also to me is like lack of self-awareness and healing. Like I don't need to stand on anyone's head to feel taller. Mm. So let everybody do the, do their own work is all needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you reflect, you know, what kind of work you need to do that will fulfill you the most. Yeah. So, yes. Well, I definitely want to make sure we um, have some time to talk about your newly released self-help book. So Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self 
is a roadmap for dismantling the fear and shame that keep you from living a free and authentic life. Having made the journey herself, in addition to guiding others as a clinical psychologist and ordained minister, Dr. Bryant shows you how to reconnect with yourself and reclaim your time, your voice, your life by bridging the gap between clinical psychology and spiritual practices. As a survivor of sexual assault, as you mentioned earlier, racism and evacuation from a civil war in Liberia, Dr. Bryant knows intimately the work involved in healing. Now, specifically relating your self-help book to a lot of the things that you've discussed with us, can you talk to us more about um, the importance of empowerment in your role, in your work, and in this self-help book? Yes. So empowerment is that capacity to do. And it is really important. You know, there's one thing of like shifting our mindset or healing from the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, as we're healing, we want to find our voice, which you all picked up on. And we want to find our agency. Right. Because stress and trauma leave you feeling often helpless or hopeless or Mm -hmm. powerless Um, And so then that can keep us stuck because you have the actual barriers and then the additional psychological and emotional barriers. And so uh, empowerment then has to be on all of those different levels, meaning I need to address the um, systemic barriers that we face. And that's a difference when we think about uh, liberation psychology, African-centered psychology, Black mm-hmm. psychology, womanist psychology, the psychology of Black women, um, that we want to address these various systems of oppression. And then we also want to provide people with the skill set to actually be able to occupy the fullness of their lives. And uh, when we are using a cookie cutter approach or not paying attention to who's in front of us, then we can ignore the realities of marginalization. Mm. And so, um, you know, if you're not recognizing that people are facing oppression, you don't recognize that empowerment is a part of their healing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we recognize looking at our sociocultural, our socio-historical reality, our socioeconomic reality, all of these dynamics, then we know that a part of healing is, and and when we say empowerment, it's not power over other people. It is power to show up fully as myself. Mm. Yes, I love that. And I had a chance to read some of your book and it was really important to me how not only, you know, sometimes in psychology, it can be um, looking at marginalized people from a deficit-based approach. And I really appreciate how you approach it from a strengths-based perspective. And although you talk about PTSD, um, community violence, and things of that nature, you also dedicate a huge portion of what you're talking about to post-traumatic growth and the positives and the resiliency that comes from that. Yes, it's so important. And I'll say, especially for those um, who are training or early career, when you're listening, and even those who are outside the field who might be listening, when I'm listening to people I'm not just listening for the problems. Mm-hmm. And often at the top of the intake form, it's presenting problem, right? Name, demographics, presenting problem. And so I'm not just listening for that. That doesn't tell me the fullness of who I'm sitting in front of. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening for 
the wisdom. I'm listening for what people have done to survive. I'm listening for the internal and the social resources, the cultural resources that sometimes people are not even aware of themselves because we often can be very critical of ourselves and our minds go to the things we did wrong. But it's remarkable the ways in which people have navigated life in really difficult circumstances. And so to highlight that to them, uh, because sometimes there can be that fear of, you know, what are the, what is this person going to think of me, right? Mm-hmm. If I tell them, you know, what's happening in my life, what do they think? And what I think when I hear your life is that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Given the life that you have lived, it makes sense. And I also celebrate what you did to survive. Even if those are things you no longer want to have to do, you did make it here. So uh, it allows us to see people more holistically. And it also sounds like pointing out resiliency. Um, So as we come to a close for today's show, I was wondering if there's anything else that you would like to share with us today, any tips, anything about yourself, anything that you feel we should know before we close out this episode? Yes. I want to say since the majority of your audience um, are uh, students, that it's important that we not neglect or erase ourselves, Mm -hmm. that many times those who enter this field have a heart for others, which is really important. And I want to say you are deserving of the same care that you are so wanting to give other people. And so to know, uh, especially I'll say to us as Black women, that that is not selfish, that is not being too demanding, to know that you are deserving, that you are worthy of being treated well, Mm. even by yourself. (laughs) I love that, Um, leaving us with the word to extend some grace to ourselves in whatever season we're in and going through. So thank you so much, Dr. Bryant. I know I feel poured into after that. So I'm sure our listeners do as well. Thank you so much for for having us today. Thank you. And you all can feel free to follow me. My website is drtama.com on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok, Dr. Tama. And the book is Homecoming. Absolutely. Thank you again. And um, listeners, be sure to look out for updates from us and make sure that you are following us on social media as well at, at Psyched Podcast.